Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, why don't the Bucks fans point the finger more at the Glazer family for the team's failures? And how many wins does Jameis Winston need to get a new contract next year? How much longer do the Rays give Matt Duffy after his latest setback? We've got your mailbag questions today answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Verstick. Before we get to your mailbag questions, I uh, just want to address the fact that the Bucks uh, finally announced that they had agreed to terms on a one-year deal with Indomicon Sioux. It's going to be for $9.25 million and with incentives that could, uh, could, could exceed that. I guess the delay, you know, people were asking me uh, on Twitter and and other venues that, uh, you know, sort of why hasn't this happened? And, you know, because it was, according to my sources, was uh, was uh, an agreement was being finalized as early as Tuesday. I think it was. Well, it turns out that Sue had a a pre-planned trip to Europe, Uh, at least uh, at this time he was uh, in France, I guess. On Thursday, he tweeted out a picture of himself or not of himself, but of a beautiful vineyard in France that he was at, and indeed the, the Bucks uh, told me that this was uh, sort of a, a trip abroad that he had planned uh, probably even before uh, they got into discussion. So Good timing, you know, miss with, OTAs with no matter what team you sign with. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm staying over. I hope, now if I'm him, I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm going to be here about two more weeks. Yeah, I don't know about that mandatory minicamp either. You can't hold me to that because I wasn't even on the team then. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if, if he's smart, he'll make this last at least three weeks, but Nonetheless, Ndamukong Sue is uh, apparently in, intending and has agreed in principle uh, and will sign when he gets back uh, from his trip and will be the latest Buccaneer. And so, you know, if you look at the $9.25 million, that means with what the Bucks were going to pay Gerald McCoy, they saved a little bit of money, uh, not a ton. What was like $3.75 million, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, that they saved under the salary cap. So that gives them some wiggle room. But I don't, you know, in as much as – the Bucks decided that Gerald McCoy was not worth $13 million. It's not a huge savings to get in Damakon Sioux, but they, they needed to do something to create some salary cap room. And, and, again, it was about the value of the player. My guess is, uh, as we do this podcast, Gerald McCoy has not found a home yet. Um, he probably will shortly. This will help him, by the way. Uh, I think that a lot of people will, at least his agent, will see Sue and McCoy, you know, taking one spot, you know, from each other in the NFL, in the NFL draft back in 2010, both going into their 10th year, both of them really about a sack and a half difference um, in their careers. The very similar players, uh, not, not not in skills wise, but but you know, same position, that sort of thing. So I would think that this will probably uh, enable McCoy to get nine, you know, nine two five or ten million dollars at least, um, depending on where he goes. Now there might be some teams that like New England that simply doesn't have the room under the salary cap, and then you know he'll have to determine how much less he'll take to go to a winning team. But I think these two deals you'll find will come in very similar. Sue is now going to be a Buccaneer, and we can, uh, we can certainly discuss that, and we'll be discussing that all week. I, I don't Again, I have no idea when they're going to have a media or a press conference availability. Uh, clearly he's out of the country, so whether that's next week or, or sometime after that, 
Um, we'll let you know when we find out. And an update, Mary Kay Cabot, our good friend in Cleveland, has updated that Gerald McCoy will be there tomorrow visiting the Browns. Okay, so the, he's going to take the yep. tour. Yes, and the Panthers, Bengals, and Ravens are all on his short list, according to sources from Mike Garofalo and Mary Kay Cabot. Nice. So as we tape this, that just came out uh, within the last hour. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yes, and Indomitian Sue will lead us to our first question in the mailbag, which right. Greg tweeted us. Any word on the incentives? Is it more sacks and tackles than Gerald McCoy or helping no quarterbacks off the ground or stomping on less than three legs? Do we know the incentives yet? <laughs> wow. Those are uh, those would be creative if they put those in there. Um, not stomping. Uh, yeah, you don't, you don't want to you definitely don't want to stomp on on anybody else because clearly you'll get suspended and then then the Bucks would uh, would take that money and send it to charity. Um, I don't know what the incentives are. Typically, um, with contracts like this, you'll see uh, sometimes uh, play time incentives based on, you know, so much percentage of snaps played. Sometimes you'll see wins, believe it or not, even though you think, well, defensive tackle, you know, really isn't like the, the position that pushes you over the top, but you might see that. You, you certainly could have an incentive for sacks. He's had four and a half in each of the last two years. Um, so you should, you know, that's easy enough to put in there. So I'm guessing some it's a performance-based um, incentive, I'm sure, and that can go anywhere from play time to to performance, to you know, to tackles or how far the team advances and that sort of thing. All right. Well, Cameron asks: As soon as there was news of Gerald McCoy being released, there was interest in him by other teams. It doesn't seem like Indomik and Sue has had as much demand in the market. Is this a good indicator of McCoy being a better or more valuable player? Well, he wasn't available. Um, we don't know. If Joe McCoy had been cut at the same time or was a free agent at the same time as Sue, it's possible that he might have also uh, waited until now. We, we just don't know. There's no way of knowing that. But I, I would say um, that, you know, I would think McCoy has a better market simply because – and, again, I, I'm not, I don't know who Jimmy Sexton talked to over these last couple months, which is the agent for Indomitian Sue. Um, but if Mary Kay Cabot's reporting is correct, it didn't take long to get three or four legitimate suitors. And I'm guessing if those are the teams, then those are also the teams willing to pay, you know, fairly good dollar um, for Joe McCoy, especially if he's making those trips. Um, you, you could argue that that most of those are contending teams. I mean, I know Cleveland has gone even longer than Tampa Bay without a playoff appearance, but most people, a lot of people are picking them uh, to make the postseason and, and perhaps even win that division, even though I would never pick against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Ravens also are in that division. So you got three teams in that division all vying for him alone. So it, it just depends. I mean, I, it's hard to know, um, but my guess is that uh, Sue has been out there for a long time, and, and it wasn't until the Bucks cut Gerald McCoy that he became an option for them. Um, you know, certainly any other team, there's 31 other teams that could have begun contract negotiations with him. And we didn't hear about them if it had occurred. So, you know, I'm, I'm guessing McCoy probably has a little better market because he was on a roster until just now. And the other part is you don't know how much you can get him for. He might be able to sign. He may be willing to sign for a lot less than Indomitian Sue is. He could, again, depending, I think, uh, I don't think the money is the biggest thing for him. But my guess is that, you know, if I'm his agent, I'm certainly looking at the Sue contract now and saying, well, you know, look, mm -hmm. my, my guy, it's not about the money, but by the same token, this, this market has sort of been established now by, by Sue. I don't, I'm not sure he has, has to take less. He may choose to if a team says, I just don't have the cap room, and if you want to play for us, this is all we got. But um, I think the teams he's talking to could probably come up with a nine nine two five or $10 million. 
Tommy asks, is the hope that Indomitian Sioux is going to bring out the more nastier side of Via Vea consistently on the field? Is that one of the reasons they brought him in? Uh, it's great speculation. We don't know. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that in addition to, you know, the financial decision of, of not paying Gerald $13 million and that, you know, his value wasn't there, um, I, I think it's clear to me anyway because you're not saving a ton of money. They, didn't, they, they did need some cap relief, and Gerald wasn't really willing to give it to them. Um, but, I, but I do think there's something to that because, you know, Gerald's a bit of a projection, more of a projection in a 3-4 um, they've done this with Darnell Dockett. He could have played in it. There's no question about that. He could have played in the, in that defense. Um, but I think the attitude is something. And maybe maybe just a different voice, a different tone setter. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of ways. You know, look, you're, you're bringing in a rookie uh, defense, you know, linebacker in Devin White out of LSU. And he's barely 21 years old. And he's going to be the guy talking in the huddle. Sue's not a big verbal guy. Um, but we know that he plays with unbridled sometimes passion and is very physical, uh, very strong player. You know, some people have talked, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that, that really Vita Vea, while he's m- a massive human being, um, you know, at one point last year he was, what, 343 or something. I think he's down probably under, under 330 or close to it. But, you know, he's a very, uh, from a personality standpoint, he's much more like Gerald McCoy. He's very quiet. Uh, not that Gerald was quiet, but he's, he's, his demeanor is, is like he's a nice guy. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to be like Sue. He's going to play hard, but he doesn't necessarily, you know, demonstrate that edge. I, mean, I think he would help a quarterback up if you asked him to. Um, and so, you know, just talking to him, he, he's, he's, you know, he's a little more reserved. I think Sue's, you know, demeanor, I, I don't think that would be a bad thing for it to rub off on Vita Vea. I really don't. And not – not to the point where, you know, you get suspended and do those crazy things. But, um, again, setting the tone, being really physical, it's just a different way to do the same job, you know. And, um, you know, he's going to be playing next to the guy. It's only for one year. You know, now, Sue is also, though, not a guy that's going to stay after practice and work with Vita Vea on, on technique. You know, he's not that guy. He's going to come to work, and then he's going to go home or wherever the hell he goes when the day is over. And he's not going to say much. And he's not going to be a rah-rah guy in the locker room. And he's, you know, he's not going to enjoy the media. And he's not going to have a lot of flowery quotes or, you know, um, sort of leadership type by, uh, you know, in, in terms of being verbal. So I, I don't know that he's going to, you know, be that guy to help develop Vita Vea. But by example, by, by t- setting a tone, by being physical and all those things, I think that might rub off the style of play. Um, you know, could possibly rub up on Vita Vea, and I and I do. I, I you know I see Bruce Arians this this old school. He didn't know Gerald McCoy really. Um, had never coached him, and uh, certainly knew what he accomplished here. But this this seems to be a, a a little bit of a preference in terms of the style that they want out of their defensive line. All right, Les asks, what is the long term plan at the defensive line? Gerald McCoy is gone. JPP's probably gone after this year, if not sooner. And Dominican Sue's on a one-year deal, and they took none of the good defensive linemen in the draft. Next offseason, I see us needing a lot of pieces on the D. Not a good formula. It's not, because you generally have to draft those guys. Now, they did make a nice acquisition of Carl Nassib uh, last year. They got him off waivers. Mm-hmm. But this he'll be a free Nassib's, agent next year. He'll be, he'll be a free agent, but it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, 
you can't extend him while he's still under contract with you mm-hmm. uh, or prevent him from getting to free agency. I think it's an advantage that the Bucks have that he's playing in their system, and if he has success and he likes living here and he likes the coaching staff, um, you know, you know, having him in the building is, is an advantage before you get to free agency. So, so my guess is, look, this thing's going to be built around Vita Vea, okay? For it to work, Vita Vea has to become one hell of a player. He was, what, the 12th pick overall in a draft a year ago, and that's, that's fairly high. Now, you know, <laughs> the rest of it, you're right. They, they're they're going to have to pick up some defensive linemen. Now, they did that, you know, a year ago. They went and got Vinny Curry, and they got Bo Allen, and, you know, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. So there's other ways that you can add defensive linemen through trades, through free agency. Next year, they'll have a lot more money. There's a lot of players, some of those you just mentioned, falling off uh, the salary cap so they can be a little more active in free agency should any, should any good free agents get out there. But, again, you know, you're going to devote a good part of money to Nassib if you want to resign him. Um, I, I think you got to draft and develop guys. I mean, I think that's still the best way to go. And they haven't drafted that many defensive linemen uh, outside of, outside of Vita Vey in the last few years. So I think they got to go and devote a good portion of their draft to finding some defensive linemen because they frankly ignored it. I mean, whether it's defensive line or offensive line, you know, they still really didn't address the right side of the offensive line with DeMar Dotson, who's entering his 11th season. Um, you know, Caleb Bedenock is now playing right tackle. They've got Ryan Jensen playing right guard. You know, he, he really hasn't made very many starts there. So uh, I think both sides of the ball up front are going to be where they go next. And uh, they'll have to devote a, a good portion of, uh, of their next couple of drafts to, to trying to find some defensive alignment. All right, Ellis asked, why are the Bucks historically bad at parting ways with some of their greatest players? I think it's, I think it's hard for any franchise. I, I, you know, it was clumsy for a, a lot of teams. There's, there's very few instances where, you know, Peyton Manning uh, stands in front of the Colts uh, banner and, uh, you know, all his teammates and executives and coaches are there and he stands up there and says, it has been an honor being your quarterback. Um, it just doesn't work that way in pro sports, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, very few guys go out on their own, you know, on their own terms. Somebody taps you on the shoulder and says – you're not good enough or we're going another direction or something um, unless you retire. You know, there are some guys that do, you know, um, retire. I, I've always thought that the better the player, the less likely he was to know when when to leave the party. I always believe that. It's uh, whether you're talking, you can go back years, you know, and, and we all remember Emmett Smith as an Arizona Cardinal and Joe Namath with the Los Angeles Rams. And you can go on and on. Johnny Unitas, I think, with the Chargers. I mean, um, you know, there's Hall of Fame players that stuck around way too long. Peyton Manning went to Denver and uh, had one okay year, but then when they won, won the Super Bowl, he was really kind of a caddy. You know, he was a passenger in, on that team and, and a shell of his former self. So I just think that's the way of pro sports, you know. And could they have done it better? Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was abysmal the way they handled Derek Brooks. I'll never – I don't think he'll ever get over that. Um, you know, they brought him in there one day and just didn't give him the option of staying under a reduced role or reduced money. Just, you know, we're not gonna, we don't want you to mentor anybody. We, we want Geno Hayes to be our outside linebacker. And they released him in a two-paragraph, you know, statement that included guys like Cato June. You know, he was just part of that. I mean, John Lynch was a failed physical. Um, <clears throat> you know, you had uh, 
you know, it, it just, they've just never been very good at it. So if it can happen to guys like Derek Brooks and John Lynch and, and that sort of thing, then it certainly is not, you know, it's not the outlier that it happened to, to Joe McCoy. But I, but I think they could have handled it better. I think that they could have expedited this process a little bit, understood that no one was going to pay Gerald $13 million and, and certainly not after the draft, and maybe addressed it a little sooner. And they didn't. They chose not to. It got clumsy. You know, you had Arian saying things about him. You know, that, that's never good. But, you know, based on what Gerald said on Instagram the other day, he doesn't seem to have that many hard feelings. He's got, you know, every, he says he'll be a buck forever, plans to retire here. He's, he makes his home here. I haven't heard that he's moving. Um, so we'll, we'll see a lot of Gerald McCoy. I just, I just don't know why they don't, they aren't very good at it. But I don't think they're alone in that in that scenario in pro sports. All right, Mike asked, why don't more people point the finger at Bucks ownership? They are the one constant in the or, uh, the past decade of losing. What could they do better to help make Tampa Bay a winning organization? It's a great question. I'm not sure why the, why people don't. Um, and really, the only way you can you can do that is essentially by not buying what they're selling. Don't buy their product. I mean, that's. And that's already begun to happen. I mean, it, you know, the season ticket passes and things like this aren't where they should be for an NFL team in, in, in Tampa, Florida, which is a football-crazed, uh, you know, the South as it is. And, and, you know, this team's been around a long time. Um, the Glazers, I think, you know, I mean, when Malcolm was running things uh, before he, uh, you know, tragically had a stroke and uh, and then later, uh, later passed and, and it was turned over to – his sons as co-chairman, they were very young. They hadn't really had that much experience in, in the NFL or in pro sports in general. And, uh, you know, they, they made mistakes. I mean, it started with, um, you know, I never forget when John Gruden, I'm not saying, look, they had reached a point with John Gruden, and I think some of that was financial because they were in uncapped years, and I think Gruden wanted to spend a lot of money in free agency. And, of course, he was always, you know, turning the, the roster over every year with veteran players and new quarterbacks. And uh, I, I think they didn't like that constant upheaval and the expense of it as well. They just didn't feel like that was the way to go. Um, but you know what? And you, you look at the coaches they've hired, and they weren't great hires. I mean, you know, Raheem Morris is a very good football coach. He was 32 years old. He had never been a coordinator at the NFL level. He wasn't ready. He was closer to Josh Freeman's age um, than he was, you know, somebody. Now, I know there are young coaches like, you know, you see them all the time, of course, with Sean McVay and others that, that are that age and are having great success. But but it wasn't – it was more of a, hey, who's on the staff? Could he be the next Mike Tomlin, you know? Um, you know, and then, you know, they, they tried to go out of the box and hire Chip Kelly. And we know that Chip Kelly had a couple 10-win seasons in Philadelphia, ironically, after he turned the Bucks down late one night or early one morning. But you know, Chip Kelly's probably not going to be in the NFL again. You know, his ideas were a little too radical. He's not, a, not really a guy that can manage, um, you know, pro football players. There's a lot of personality clashes. He tore that Philadelphia team up. They had a lot of talent. Um, and he wanted to do it his way. And it just, it just didn't work. You know, he brought a lot of new ideas to the NFL. And then, you know, they ended up with Greg Schiano, who looked the part, and it seemed as if he was the anti-Rahim Morris, who was a player's coach, and kind of loose with it. Everybody was, you know, taking the locker room, was kind of taking over. And, you know, here came, here came Schiano, who was a, sort of a stern taskmaster, but really more of a college guy. You know, his, his college ways 
didn't really mesh very well with the NFL and and, and the you know the the pro athlete at that time. Uh, and then they tried to go back, you know, to a, to a kinder, gentler time with Lovey Smith, and they thought they knew what they had because Lovey had worked here and Lovey was an NFL coach and won nine and a half games a year, and that seemed like a good idea. Except they really didn't give him enough time to address the defensive side of the ball before they were on to Dirk Cutter, who had never been a head coach in the NFL. So I think they're constantly wanting they're, – they're, they're a little impatient, but they haven't made great choices for head coaches. Um, and if they have, they, they haven't stuck with them long enough. We, don't, we haven't seen these guys in action long enough to really, uh, really accurately assess whether that was the right choice or not. And as far as, you know, you also got to look at the general managers. I mean, their last two, Mark Dominic and Jason Light have very similar records and, um, you know, no playoff appearances between them. I mean, that's staggering when you think about it. So who's running your franchise? Who's, who's creating the front office? Who's building the, the, the scouting department? You have to look at that too. So, they, you know, in, in essence, they've done everything from a physical standpoint. They've built an indoor facility. They have an unbelievable training camp or training facility. Uh, you know, they do spend money on players. Now, uh, they didn't there for a little while, and I think that hurt them. Um, but they just, they just haven't either, you know, found the right guy and stuck with him or, or found the right GM that could then hire the right head coach. It just hasn't worked. They just don't get it yet. You know, they just haven't gotten it right. And there's no other way to say it. It just, it, when you get into the spiral in the NFL of change the coach, change the quarterback, you will lose and you will lose for a very long time. And that's what Cleveland has done. And that's what the Bucks have done as much or more than any franchise in the NFL. You just look at those two franchises. How many quarterbacks has Cleveland had? How many coaches? How many GMs, right? They've been the longest without going to the postseason. Well, who else has done that? Tampa Bay. How many coaches? How many GMs? I mean, what is it, five in 11 years, something like that? You just can't win that way because the system is not set up. You know, you, you when you finish poorly, you get the higher draft picks, but, you know, you hire a new head coach and he's got his idea in his system, and then by the time those draft picks reach the second or third year, if you're firing the head coach, well, those guys don't fit what your next head coach wants to do. So now you're getting rid of those players and starting all over again. You just can't do that as an NFL franchise. So, you know, I, I really think that that's what it comes down to is that the ownership um, hasn't found the right football people um, to, to do the right things and then stuck with them uh, long enough for it to, uh, to come to fruition. And let's face it, it also helps to have a quarterback. I mean, they have not – you know, Josh Freeman was going to be the guy in the first round, then Jameis Winston – and I'm not saying it's all Winston's fault, but they just haven't hit on that guy just yet and had the team around him so that he could, you know, he could excel and win football games. I think they got a lot of pieces. It's more on offense than defense. We'll see what Bruce Arians can do. But uh, I don't know why people don't talk more about ownership. I guess it's supposed because the owners don't play. They see the players play. They see the players losing. They see the coaches not winning and getting fired. So, you know. They, they sort of look at it like, well, how, mu how much can you really blame somebody sitting up in the skybox writing the checks? Well, it's also you can't change that. You absolutely you can't change it. No. no. Unless they decide to sell. That's right. Mantis asks kind of a follow-up question. Do the Bucks need a president or director of football operations? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. To run the entirety of the buck so that the Glazers get this fixed. Kind of a guy like Rich McKay. Well, you know, Rich was uh, at first, you know, the, the legal counsel and then later the general manager. Uh, he was the president of the Falcons after he flamed out as a GM with the Falcons. So he was never really the president here, I don't think, necessarily, unless it was during that transition time when, um, you know, the, the Culver House family was, was selling the team and it was in the hands of the Culver House Trust, which was, you know, Steve Story, Jack Donlin, and, and Rich McKay. So, um, but once they sold it to the Glazers, my memory is that he was – you know, he was their general manager up until the point where he went to Atlanta to become their general manager, which is still the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. One day he, he's the Bucks GM, and then literally he goes to Atlanta, and the next week uh, he's in the press box with the Atlanta Falcons who are playing at Raymond James Stadium against the Bucks. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in the world. But um, president, it just depends. I mean, we get hung up on titles. Um, I kind of know what the, what, what the question is. In other words, is can there be – no matter what you call him, president, head of football ops, whatever, can there be a czar of football that then hires the GM and then hires – who then hires a coach or, or maybe, maybe the guy hires both? Um, but who would that person be? You know, like who would they trust? It gets back to who the Glazers know and who the Glazers would trust to do those things. Um, it's, a, it's a different structure. Look, the Glazers want to answer – they want – I mean, the head coach is one thing, right? But the Glazers – really want to answer or have one person answer to them. In other words, they don't want three or four chefs deciding what they're doing in the football side. In other words, right now, it's Jason Light, okay? So anything that goes wrong in football, the coach, uh, the, the roster, the draft, they want to be able to go to Jason Light, one person, and have a one-on-one relationship with that guy because they don't trust a ton of people and say, what are you doing with the money? Who are we drafting? Why did you do this? Why did you do this hire, this person? Why aren't we winning? They, you know, so to have a president but then hire a GM underneath him and then a coach underneath him, I don't think that's a structure that the Glazers would be comfortable with. So, again, no matter what you call them, general manager, uh, president of football ops, whatever, they really are just sort of that's the structure they like. They want to have one person in charge of football, and then, and then, then they have that guy that can answer all their questions, and they can hold him accountable if the coach doesn't work or the draft doesn't work, and that sort of thing. They don't want a bunch of uh, a bunch of people in there. And then, you know, sometimes too, when you do that, you get a lot of different ideas. You know, I mean, you, you know, you can keep hiring people, and then everybody has a different idea about the way things are going, and no one's pulling the same direction. So uh, sometimes simpler is better, and I kind of think that's the way the Glazers want to work things. All right, Les asks, who takes the blame if the Bucks have another losing season? Is it Arians, Jason Light, the owners, all of the above? This was supposed to be a reload, but so far it doesn't feel like one. Well, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to yeah, reload, not a rebuild. Um, well, look, Jason Light's been here longer than Bruce Arians, and unless they want to fire Bruce Arians after one season, right now I'd say that, you know, Jason's fingerprints are, are more on this team than Bruce's. So... If somebody has to lose or leave town, I mean, if somebody leaves town next year and it's only one person, it's probably going to be Jason Light. 
unless Bruce is just so bad that, you know, they're like, wow, that was a huge mistake. And, you know, he's he's not working at his craft and his coaches aren't very good. And, you know, it's it's more coaching uh, than anything. But I think if you just look at the in terms of like, you know, the number of years and, and who's new and who's been here five years with no postseason appearance, then, yeah, I think the blame is going to fall on the GM. Now, they said I thought the, I thought the blame would fall on both last year. You know, I thought Cutter and Jason were both very vulnerable. They wound up firing uh, Dirk Cutter, and, and the stated reason that they didn't fire Jason wasn't that, well, you know, they did say, well, he's had a couple of good drafts, but, but basically what I was told by Joel Glazer was, look, we needed some continuity. Like, we needed some continuity. We couldn't just blow up the entire thing. Well, you could have, and teams do that all the time, but they chose not to. So, you know, assuming Arians is back next year, there's your continuity, right? You'd have the continuity of the coaching staff. Might have to hire a new GM. Um, so, again, if we're predicting abject failure this season and somebody's got to go, um, if it's just one person, it's probably going to be the guy that's been here the longest. So I would say in that case it would be it would be Jason, but we're we're kind of putting ourselves way ahead, and we don't know what the circumstances of those, you know, of of those losses would be necessarily. All right, Allie asks, how many wins does Jameis Winston need to secure a new contract next season? Is it the playoffs or bust, or do you think he'll get one regardless of how well the season goes? I wouldn't put wins and losses necessarily on him, although. I do think at some point, if you don't win as a quarterback, I don't care what team you play for, they're going to get rid of you um, because you, you have the ball in your hands every play and you probably affect winning and losing more than other guys. But it's a it's a very dependent position. You can't do anything as a quarterback unless they block for you, unless guys run the right routes and all those things. I think Jameis will play well enough. Wins, I mean, I don't think he can go 3-13, and 13, you know, because if he does that, that means he's not playing very well. But we've seen seasons where, you know, he's won six games and played pretty good, you know, and, and um, won five games and maybe maybe he got hurt and there was some extenuating circumstances. So I think, look, Jameis is getting better. He's gotten better every year. Statistically or any way you want to look at it, he has gotten better each and every season. And so he's in his fifth year now. He's reaching that point where quarterbacks kind of figure it out if they're going to at all. And – I think he's going to put up big numbers as long as he's on the field. I think he's going to, you know, throw for over 4,000 yards, maybe even approach 5,000. I think he's going to throw close to 25 or 30 touchdowns, you know. If his interceptions are down around, you know, 10, 11, 12, whatever, 13, and statistically he's going to have a pretty good year. And I, I expect him to do that. So, uh, again, you know, where do they finish? Uh, are they in there? Did they tank for Tua? You know, there's a good quarterback class coming out next year. Are they drafting in that range where they can start over again? I mean, so many questions have to be answered. If he doesn't win enough games to keep him out of the top five, he probably will be gone because then they'll be looking to draft a quarterback and might have one available. So he's got to win enough games to, you know, to prevent the Bucks from getting, getting a high, high draft pick and, and replacing him. Whatever that number is, I mean, I, I think it's you know probably six or seven or, or above. But, again, if you just bear it down to wins and losses, he'd have been gone already. Um, you know, he doesn't have a very good win-loss record. So I think it's more than that. I think you have to see how he plays and who is most responsible for winning and losing in, in those games. I mean, you know, last year, no matter how well the quarterback played, um, they gave up 29 points a game. You know, I mean – 
Fitzmagic, he came out as hot as he was. There's never been a quarterback that hot, back-to-back rookie, uh, you know, player of the week honors, where he threw for 300 plus and in, uh, in, in, you know, uh, four four plus touchdowns, and you know they still had to score 48 points to beat the Saints, 48 to 40. You know they weren't stopping anybody. So would you say, had he lost one or two of those games, you know was was that Fitzgerald's part or Fitzpatrick's fault? No. It wasn't. It was the defense. So that's what I mean. Like, you can put up hellacious numbers and be really, really good at quarterback, but your team might not win, you know. And if he's down 21-3 to every game and he gets the snot knocked out of him um, and that leads to interceptions and things because they can't stop anybody, I think you got to put that into proper perspective too. So I don't know that there's a number is my bigger point. I will say this, that he needs to – you know, if he, he needs to win more than he loses, and that would guarantee I think he'd come back – uh, in 2020. All right, we'll switch to the Rays now. And Les ask, Rick, I hope you're sitting down, but Matt Duffy had a right. setback. <laughs> How much longer do the Rays give him before giving up? I was sitting down when we were talking about Matt Duffy's setbacks. It <laughs> seems so long ago. He was the first guy we sat down with at Race Fan Fest, was he not? I believe he was. Yes, I believe he was. Yeah, and uh, it seems like he got hurt ever since he stood up from that interview. Um, look, I feel for Matt Duffy and any professional athlete. These guys do not go out there with the intention of, of being hurt. You know, this is their livelihood. This is their dream since they were little kids. I mean, Matt Duffy has had a lot, a, a lot of success when he's been healthy uh, as a major league player, both with the Giants and with the Rays. He wants to be out there. It's just not working out. And I, I don't know why because it seems like, you know, it's a moving target. One day it's a hamstring, then it's the, you know, Maybe it's the foot or the back. or we, we, I just don't know. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you have an injury, it affects other parts of your body too. And he's had to rehab. He's had to come back. You know, is he going too slow? Are they pushing him too hard? Um, you know, you wonder about that too because the people in charge of the rehab, they can't, uh, you know, stop a guy from pulling a hamstring, but it's their job to make sure they don't push him too fast or, or whatnot. So I don't know what, you know, what percentage of this falls on the race training staff. I just don't know. I mean – and I also don't know the upside of saying, well, we've had enough. I mean, if he's already going to get paid and you got to pay him anyway, unless he's sitting in front of some guy you need to have play at Durham or wherever he's doing his rehab starts, and there won't be many because as, as soon as he's able to go, they're going to bring him up to the majors, there's really no incentive to cut the guy other than we're just tired of the story. Um, I, so I don't know what his contract says. I, I'll say this. They're probably not counting on him at this point. They'd be foolish to do that. And, you know, I, I don't think you can think that he's going to make it through even half a season anymore. So, um, but the timing of all that and, and what his contract says, I don't know, Steve, am I wrong? I wouldn't, I don't think there's an upside to just saying, well, that's it. He's had enough injuries. We got to let him go. Yeah. I mean, if you're paying him, you might as well, you know, just keep him there and, and rehabbing. And, and, you know, maybe at some point either he contributes to the team or if he gets healthy, you're able to trade him. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so yeah, as long as his con- as long as he's under contract, there's no there's no need to to cut him. You know, if now if another right. team wants to take a chance on him and trade for him, but when they're hurt, they're gen- that generally doesn't happen. Exactly. John asks, do Rays fans overreact when the Rays beat or lose to the Yankees and Red Sox? I get that they're division rivals, but Rays fans are apt to jump ship when they lose a series to those guys in May. Probably. They probably overreact a little bit, but I mean, those are the teams you have to beat to win the AL East, too. It's not, you know, every every now and again, Toronto has a good ball club, and it's been a while since Baltimore has. 
But, I mean, th- look, that's the gold standard. I mean, you can't get to the – you're not assured of making the postseason unless you win the division. And you can't win the division unless you beat the Red Sox and the Yankees. So, I, I don't – you know, they play them 19 times, okay? So, you know, you want to – series or better, uh, and then you have to beat the crap out of everybody else that's on your schedule. But – um, overreact maybe just because it's been a, it's been a minute now since they won the AL East, right? So I, I think those games matter more. I think they, like any sport, the division games, right? It's a two-game swing every time um, you lose to one of those guys, and they're usually at the top of the standings as the Yankees are now. The Red Sox aren't going to quit. They're going to come hard. So I don't know. I mean, does, you know, I see a lot of Red Sox in – Yankee fans at the Trops, so I know they put a lot of importance on it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's good. I mean, I you know you should be, you should look at those teams at a, a little different way, and, and the intensity should ramp up even if it's in, you know, May or June or whatever. Because look, those those losses in in April count the same at the end of the season as they do now, you know. So um, you only play you know 19 times is a lot of time, but it's also that's it. It's like you you need to win half or more of those just to uh, keep pace. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think they put too much emphasis on it. I mean, I think generally people want to see, if you're a Rays fan, you want to see them beat the Yankees and beat the Red Sox because you know that's the only sure way to the playoffs is to, is to win the division. Allie asks, how would you rank this current Tampa Bay Rays roster compared to years past? Is it one of the best in their history? I don't know. One of the best in their history. I mean, 08, you know, we all, it's revisionist history, but we all know that that turned out to be a pretty damn good roster when you go back and look at it, at least where those guys were at, at that point in their career and how they produced. I'll tell you this, it's, it's one of the more interesting young rosters they've had. I mean, they've, you know, they went through a lot of years where they just, you know, got guys from other organizations and threw them out there, and we, we talked about how, you know, their failure to – really develop position players and things like that, but through trades and, you know, different acquisitions, whether it's, you know, the international route, uh, you know, with guy like Yanni, you know, well, Yanni Diaz came from Cleveland, but I mean, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that they've found players. I like this roster from a, from a potential standpoint, from a development. I mean, Austin Meadows looks like he could really be special. Um, you know, Tyler Glass now, um, we know what Blake Snell is, you know, Cy, I mean, it's, it's one of the better teams they've had. Hard to say it's the best one, but, but yeah, I mean, they won 90 games and then there was turnover after that season. So if you look at the, the Willie Adamas's and, and Daniel Robertson's and, um, you know, some of those guys, I mean, they're young, young players, even Yanni Diaz. I mean, you got the mix, you got Tommy Pham and, you know, you've got Avisel Garcia's and guys like that, but I kind of like, I like what I'm seeing. I think it's one of the better young group of players that they've had for sure. I don't know. What do you think, Steve? Is this one of the better teams they've had? I think it's definitely one of the deepest. You know, in years past yeah. when they would get an injury, you know, to the second baseman or, you know, you name it, you'd be like, oh, no, you know, now what are we going to do? And this team has so much more versatility for them. You know, Joey Wendell's been out, and now Yandy Diaz is going to be on the disabled. Matt Duffy's been out. But yet they still have guys that you're, you're confident are going to contribute. Um, you know, maybe – you know, some of the defense hasn't been as good as you'd hope this year so far, and, and you hope they'll correct that. But, you know, they definitely have a deeper roster. I mean, I, you know, I think if you look at I, – I, I, be- I think they've had better bullpens in this in the past. 
I was going to say the closing situation is still uh, a little up in the air. I like Alvarado, but I don't know, you know, if you have everything else, you, you know, Pagan's done well in, in Castillo, but after those three, what do you got? Um, no. You know, Chaz Rowe seems to be getting better, but, you know, he definitely got off to a very rough start. Um, you know, and starting, pitch, starting pitching, something, yeah. yeah, starting pitching, obviously you don't have, you're not as deep, although I really like the top three. Uh, you know, Blake Snell and Charlie Morton and then Tyler Glasnow is a very young pitcher. But like what I see, I like those three. But you've had deeper starting pitching. And I'll, I'll even put Yanni Chirinos and, and, and Ron Yarbrough and Jalen Beeks kind of in that group, even though they don't start. But they're getting – Yeah, you're, you're hoping they're going four, five, six innings a game when they come mm-hmm. in. Um, you know, I, I think they've probably had better starting pitching at times, especially when you had Shields and Price and Archer as a young guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, you had some other, you had, you know, Matt Moore and Alex Cobb and some of those, and I, some of them may not have overlapped perfectly, but, you know, I mean, they've yeah. had a lot of really good starting pitching come through this organization. But yeah, I, yeah. I think offensively, you know, and I wasn't here for 08, but, you know, this, this is, it, it seems like it's by far the deepest team where, you, you know, when, if someone goes out injured, you're not going on oh, now, what do we do? You know, you've right. got guys ready to step up. You, you know, you've got more than just your starting you know, nine fielders out there. Yeah, they've never had this much versatility. I mean, back in the day, it was, you know, Ben Zobris was the Ginzu knife, and that was it. You know, you had one guy that could kind of go and play the outfield or any infield position, that sort of thing. Hell, now, all the, you, you could play those guys almost on any position except catcher, mm-hmm. and a few of them could probably catch. So they've never had this sort of versatility um, in their lineup and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. I don't know that it's a great hitting team just yet. I don't know you can say – Hey, this is going to be one of the best offensive teams they have. They got guys that have great potential. I mean, Austin Meadows, we mentioned, but you know, there came a point where, uh, especially in '08, and it just kind of fell this way. But you know, Upton was very, very good there, especially in the playoffs and towards the end of the year. Uh, Carlos Pena had an enormous year. Of course, the whole thing changed when Evan Longoria came up as a rookie and just took off. So you know, they they had some they had some pretty good pretty good players. Um, you know, in that lineup, uh, Jason Bartlett was was a really good shortstop who hit really well. Um, you know, so they they had they had a lot of pieces, but uh, this team, you know, is deep. It's uh, it's been a little inconsistent offensively. Um, so I think that you know it's still too early to know because guys are so early in their careers to know what you got. But I, you're right. I love their versatility. I mean, this is the this is definitely the most versatile team they've had and. And it's a young for the predominantly young, and but we talked about how they could probably use a guy who's been there, done that, as a position player or a DH or somebody who can help them, you know, in the dugout the way uh, Charlie Morton helps the pitching staff. All right, final question for this podcast, and we've got a few extras we may uh, sprinkle in next week as well. But yeah. rooting, rooting for UF asked, do professional sports teams provide off-season workout goals for players? I'm thinking specifically of Jameis Winston and Matt Duffy adding weight and Duffy's subsequent hamstring issues. Why are teams not more involved in the players' offseason? Well, that's a great point. In the NFL, it's because they can't be in the damn building until April 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of it's contractually of obligated where they, the teams can't. Yeah. That's right. They, they're, the CBA prevents them. Um, they can't have contact with them. But, I mean, if I were a team and I had that kind of investment in a Jameis Winston, I would sit down with him before he got out of that building and I would try to map out. But so many of these guys now have their own personal trainers, um, guys they like to work with, uh, you know, teams, players from the other league, other, other teams go there, whether it's Todd Durkin out in San Diego or whatnot. Um, they just kind of go their own way. But it's a great question. I don't – I know that they, they monitor them, especially if there's an injury, 
Uh, but in terms of telling them how they should train or, you know, they, they have weights that they want them to be at. You know, they, they talk about those things. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it, it's mostly because, at least in the case of football, um, they really can't be in the building. So it's very hard to, to train a guy that's not allowed to be in your building. All right, and one final question. This is kind of from me, but about the news today. USF signed a three-game contract with Alabama now, where Alabama will come to Tampa, in, I believe, 2023. USF will return two games in Alabama after that. Uh, they've now got deals with Miami, with Louisville, uh, Alabama. What do you think of those? Florida. Florida, yeah. yeah Florida, I think, yep. I think it's a great idea. Now, Alabama, you're going to get killed if, it, if, it, if Saban continues to coach until he's 75. Um, but you know, I think you, if you want to be a, if you want to be a power five school one day, if you want to go to a, you know, one of the big, uh, bowl games, even, um, you're going to have to get those guys on your schedule. You just have to. And if they're willing, I know they're, they're playing one and two on the road, but that's, that's the deal they have to make. I, I, I would put as many of those teams. I think it only look, it also attracts players. You know, the guys that come in here want to play against the best teams in the country, want to measure themselves. Say we're playing Alabama and Florida and Miami this year, Florida State, whatever. I think that helps your program, and uh, I, you know, you just you got to build it so you just don't you're not going there to get creamed, you know, the million dollar massacre. Um, but you know, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's smart. I, uh, you know, UCF is complaining that USF is doing two for ones to get home games, and he says that they, that hurts the conference, the American Athletic Conference. Um, do you think that does? How so? How does it hurt them? I mean, do they share those revenues? Well, he wants a one for, you know, US, UCF's looking for one for one games. They don't want to give up two road, go two road games to get one home game. No. I mean, you know, they're, they're welcome to not, you know, to not do it. And I guess that's their philosophy. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think if you're going to make a deal with those power five teams, that's, those are the conditions they're going to, they're going to demand. I saw so, a tweet today and I don't remember who tweeted it, but it was pretty funny and I'll paraphrase it. But it says UCF's the guy that, He's got his house on Zillow for a thousand days, but refuses to drop the price because it's going to sell any day now. <laughs> exactly, and he's mad at the guy next door that that sold his at a right at the right price, you know, in in three days. And you can't imagine why his hasn't sold in three months. I mean, we got guys like that in our neighborhood, by the way. Yeah. So there's yeah, an every good point. Good analogy. Very good analogy. Well, thanks for all your mailbag questions. Of course, you don't have to wait until we have one of the podcasts. You can shoot us a question if you want to on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. The Rays resume uh, their series in Cleveland against the Indians. Just a programming note, we're going to be taking Memorial Day off. We want you guys to have a great Memorial Day, too. We will be back with our Sports Day Tampa Bay on Tuesday. And uh, remember uh, what this weekend is for, the holiday weekend. Um, thanks to all of you who have served or are serving right now in the armed forces. You're, you're invaluable to all of us because uh, we, can't, we can't have freedom without uh, people that will make the ultimate sacrifice. And remember those people this weekend. So have a great Memorial Day weekend. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. We will see you on Tuesday. 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.